friend. How are we? Right. So, quick one. Just reflecting now on where our group is and some of the things that that have been posted and personal messages. I don't know about you, but people have really taken on board this kind of like fortune favors the brave attitude where business is concerned, an entrepreneurial spirit. They've sat down, they started to make plans and it's almost as if they've all coincided a bit with the first hurdle in business. Would you agree, my friend, Sarah? I really do. I really do. So I'm seeing movement, um, but I think what I'm also seeing is um, fear of failure is, is causing some people to wobble before they even get to the first hurdle. They're almost self-sabotaging, aren't they? Yeah, and and um, not not just fear of failure, but also, and, and I'm guilty of this, this kind of, I want it all to be working and set up right now. And actually that, that need to plan, do it incrementally and accept that it's not going to happen overnight. It's been one of those where if you, if you pick the bones... There was a wonderful lady who'd done some research in her competition, just folded her because she realised there's an entire industry out there. There's another lady who had had a tutoring business, started off great guns, and then the parents said, oh, thanks ever so much, we'll, we'll have a break till September. Bang, she went down. There was, there was another lady who had, had she, she messaged me personally and said she'd been trolled online Mm. with her business and then there was another one who's just feeling this sense of overwhelm mm. and that's business <laughs> it is and it's do you think do you think it comes back to again the fact that we we've been in the profession that we have which is in some respects it's quite channeled isn't it it's quite funneled there's a lot of the stuff that is out of your control because somebody else puts in the processes and the procedures and all the rest of it and so actually much of what people do when they're teaching is kind of that um unconscious competence they just get on and do it whereas you they're all the way back now to knowing exactly the fact that they don't know what they're doing yet Um, And, and and i think that's in conjunction with the fact that when did you ever, when you were a teacher, think, I've got to recruit these 30 kids through the door for September. I've got, to, I've got to retain these now because that child equates to this amount of money. And if that child decides to go to another school, we don't think like that, irrespective of how hard we work. The one thing you never had to worry about as a teacher was being paid. Yeah. And I think what's particularly difficult in August for me, it was always the 15th of the month. What's particularly hard in August, you're about to drop one in on the 15th when you've not technically worked for right. four yeah. weeks kind of thing. But I think what, what this is about, and it's something that I talk about time and time and time again, it is mindset. Mm-hmm. The only reason you are frightened of something is because there is an absence of faith. Mm-hmm. If you have an absolute faith in what you are doing, if you believe wholeheartedly that what you are about to embark on will work then you are fearless and i think it's also um i i know you i know you did it with your journaling when you were sat back at your table in in 2012 and very much i do it now i talk in the future tense from a perspective that 
my future is what I want it to be. So there is no, if this works out, it is very much um, when when this works out and next year I will be able to do yeah. X, Y, and Z and come September, I'll be able to take on somebody to do some of my admin work for me. And it's, it's, it's a certain oh, you've, positive. You've seen, you've seen my journals. You've seen my journals when I was sat in a completely different house in, in an awful set of circumstances journaling about the success I have now mm. I am so pleased we've opened the Bowdoin group I'm so mm. obviously you know and, and it's a, it's about mindset and there's so much out there on building that that mental robustness into what you are doing and it's hard it doesn't just happen overnight it's not just something you can decide you want no it, I, and it's like exercise um because the the resilience the 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 robustness comes from repetitive actions that you do to help yourself become more resilient so you, you can't just say oh i'm going to be more resilient from tomorrow yeah. morning you you have to you have to practice you have to dust yourself off when you when you get knocked down and i'm sat right in front of our favorite quote the man in the arena um, and and that whole thing about yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna live a fulfilled life, you're gonna fall down, and you you're gonna scrape your knees on the way down. And you're absolutely right in what you're saying. Get a plan. Yeah. Get your plan, and if you've really mapped out your business, and if you've mapped out what you want to be doing, and your multiple income streams, work on that plan every single day. And there will be setbacks. Mm. There will be the, the online troll. There will be the parent who just for no reason whatsoever withdraws their services mm. or the wedding that's been booked and then they cancel at the last minute such is the way of business mm. and it's only with experience at time that you just realize that it absolutely isn't personal but you dig deep because what's your alternative absolutely i mean i think about you you know that I've, i'm fingers in multiple pies and i think about myself and, and associates who, who were in the wedding sectors and me with my photography, a couple of other friends with photography. And the minute that lockdown started in March, all of our bookings went away, like literally went away. And there's with, with terms and conditions in photography, a deposit isn't actually a deposit. You, if, yeah. if it's force majeure, if you, you know, if the contract's been broken, then you have to give the deposit back. So for it wasn't so bad for me, to be fair, because I was relatively early yeah. in the journey. But I know um, associates who, who literally overnight lost 30Ks worth of right. bookings. Okay, do you remember stood with me when we watched Boris say, we are cancelling the GCSEs? And yeah. what was it? Was it 40 grand I last, lost personally yeah. overnight? And you, you watched. I me. did. I watched. I watched the world fall out of you. And not only that, I'd got a series of limited companies underneath me with the franchisees, who, and you were in exactly the same position. Mm. And it's like, okay, oh, okay. And you know, I didn't sleep for a fortnight, and you know, I was living in this state of anxiety where, at one point, I was trying to plan for every single conceivable outcome well what if there is a lockdown what if there's not a lockdown what if the school closed what if the do and in the end you just you just go to your years of resilience building and say right what what can we deal with now 
And well, if you, you go back to baseline, don't you? So I, I did exactly what you have been telling lots of people in the group. I, I just basically went back to with my husband and said, right, this is what you're earning. This is what we need to bring in to keep the house going and to 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 sort of fulfill all of our commitments that we've absolutely got to have. Mm. And what do I need to do to do that? And, and and for us, that actually meant, well, we'll dip into our savings for, for a couple of months because yeah. I fell through all of the gaps with, with support funding. But you, you have to go back and and almost go, right, okay, it's it's not the end of it. It's two steps back and it's a different starting point and we'll go and, forward again. And all of the messages that are coming through at the moment on the page, they're saying things along the lines of, I just feel like crying. That's all right, do. Mm-hmm. Have a cry. Go and have a wallow for the afternoon. Feel incredibly sorry for yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. Why? I've, tr- I've worked so hard. I've done this. Why, why, why? And then you get a cutoff point and you go, right, what am I going to do about it? Because it's going to be all right. Yeah. One yeah. way or another, it's going to be all right. If I honestly believe in this day and age, if you are starting a tuition business, right? If you are about to enter into a wedding business, if you are about to enter into any form of enterprise, we have a government that is backing small businesses. Mm-hmm. Whether we like that government or not, mm-hmm. all right? One of the things they are doing is hurling money to keep this economy afloat. And small businesses are in a better position to to do that because yeah. we've said it before, haven't we? You, you can you can pivot so quickly. You can adjust who you're marketing to, and who you know you can turn on a dime to use a yeah. This right. dog's doing me head in. Sorry. <laughs> what happened was a couple of weeks ago. For, for the first time in ten years, he caught a fly happened by complete accident to caught a fly and ever since then he's got imaginary flies going around his head <laughs> right because he's never and it, when he caught it he literally looked as if to say did anybody else see me do that so you know he's never felt that good ever since but i digress so now think quick one there just gird your loins hold your nerve that's the one thing we always say put your big girl pants on yeah, it's going to be all right. Go back to do more of what you know works. Yes. Go back to a good marketing strategy. Go back and learn about an online presence. Go on YouTube. Start researching about your business, how to get a good marketing strategy. Get back into LinkedIn. If you're going into the world of business and you're in your infancy, learn. Mm. And the one thing I always say is if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So if there are hurdles, good you've got a good business there and it and it makes you stronger happy days stronger and keep talking to us keep sending messages mm-hmm. keep posting on the page i love the fact now that people are just openly asking a question sharing something and have you noticed loads of regulars are piling in now yeah. with support yeah it is lovely. i like that well, it, it, it's a it's feeling very much like a um a staff room yeah a staff room it's mutually supportive i've said to you now for a while what we should do is we should open up a zoom call and have like a virtual staff room mm-hmm. where people can pop in join this call have a jangle with us 
get something off the chest. I wonder if people would be interested in doing that. We might put that. Yeah, well, I'll I'll leave leave this in the um, in the recording and ask the question because we could do it as um, as rooms in Facebook as well. So, could have a business room, yeah. could have a coaching room. You could then could just have an offshoot, yeah, um, and that kind of thing. But I'm like I like how, and I'll tell you what else helps our page as well when members recommend us in other groups. Um. Yeah, because the influx then of new members is huge. But to those people who are embarking upon thriving outside of the classroom, build your momentum, hold your nerve, keep going, have a cry, put the Real Housewives of Cheshire on. Always a winner. Yeah. Always a winner. Always. Keep journaling, keep planning, and keep talking. Radio. There you go. I have my um no not um, I was gonna say old friend but you're not you're um long oh, I'm nearly old no since you're old then I'm old um <laughs> so Anthony and I have known each other for um we've just figured out 29 years and we're at uni together and have both gone on very different paths um but seem to be converging a little bit now I think um so I've invited Anthony on this afternoon to talk to us about career change and and sort of mindset shifts that are needed with that mm. is that is that a fair yeah, assessment of where we're at um Absolutely. so should we start with you and and your your story yeah so I guess my story begins cracky very quickly um just a little bit before the 29 years ago that we've known each other, just to frame that for people, just so they know. And I, <laughs> yeah. So I'd left A-levels and then went to university where I met you, where we became friends, where I met you, and then left after two years of that, kind of really not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, other than I was pretty certain I didn't want to become a kind of nine-to-five person. Um, so I set out down a path, I set my own business up, I was ran that for about 18 months, and then got really, I think I was impatient as frustrated bored impatient uh, and ended up quitting and went into into the kind of career corporate world in public relations really because of what somebody said to me which was oh you'd be good at PR you got the gift of the gal so, <laughs> and there was no more than that because I really didn't have a clue what I wanted to do um, and I fell into PR that way so I went to ask somebody what they'd look for they ended up giving me an interview got the job and, and the rest was history and then I had a big, I did that for about five years, got really fed up and bored with that. Just felt it was a bit vacuous and ended up by, but uh, due to sort of uh, set of circumstances, going out to the Caribbean, as you know, to run a, a publishing company for an ex-girlfriend's dad. And so I did that for a few years, turned that around, came back to the UK, still didn't know really what I wanted to do, but I was newly married and like many people I had commitments and you know, savings that we'd say that were, were dwindling pretty quickly uh, and ended up falling back into, after nine months, nine months of struggling to find a job, uh, ended up falling back into PR work, but this time back at the bottom of the ladder. Then over the next few years, sort of worked my way back up, kids came along as they do, uh, and then um, found myself aged 40, divorced really quickly, didn't see it coming at all, two kids, and uh, yeah, and divorced with two kids, mortgage to pay and all the rest of it. 
and so that was quite a challenging time so I ended up still doing what I was doing and then aged 41 um, found myself redundant um, again quite by chance five to five and funny enough it was when I was working in electricity northwest just down the road from you in Warrington. yeah I, th I think that was around about the time that I, I last physically saw you in, in yes. real life, yeah. Yeah, so, and I realised, but I realised at that point that actually I'd been kind of going through through the motions and was, was pretty miserable. Mm. And so, yeah, I was, well, I left home that night and I was scared stiff and I thought, how the hell am I going to pay the mortgage? What am I going to do? I've got two kids, I've got what I've got to do. And so I went to bed, couldn't sleep, and I came downstairs, I remember grabbed a glass of Jameson whiskey, sat down, I got a pen and paper and I wrote a line down the middle. And I wrote, right, what's the worst thing that can happen? So I wrote down all the worst things that can happen. And funnily enough, two things happened. One was when I noticed, when I wrote them down, they didn't seem as scary. Interesting. So I thought, that was interesting. So writing them down didn't seem as scary. And then the second thing, on the other side of the paper, I thought, right, what's the positive potential benefits that could come from this? So I wrote down as many different things as I could. Mm -hmm. And I refused to stop until I got twice as many uh, positives as negatives. Oh, yeah. I ended up going back to bed and slept like a baby. And then I woke up in the morning, I realized that I've been going through the motions the last six, seven months, really miserable. And I thought, I need to finally figure out what the hell it is I want to do with my life. Mm. I know I'm skin. I know I've got two kids and a mortgage. If I don't do it now, I'm just going to go back to doing the same thing I was. Yeah. And I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. So I took two or three months off and I managed to borrow a little bit of money from my folks. And by hook and by crook, and I thought, I'll just... You know, put up some stuff on credit card and I said right I'm just going to figure out what it was so it took me about two and a half months mm -hmm. and in that time I kind of didn't do any work I did lots of walking and thinking and trying people things out spoke to different people and and then I finally settled on actually what I really want to do is what I'm doing now which is coaching and training and, and personal development yeah. really around the fields of mental toughness uh, and those kind of the career change and, uh, and and that's what I do so I ended up briefly going back in uh, interiming in what I was doing and what I do is interim for a bit make a bunch of money do what I'm doing now run out of money and go oh shit and then go back to interiming again and I ended up doing that for um, probably about three years or so but I was absolutely determined that I was going to find a way by hook and by crook to make this work so I was willing to, to go without stuff and do and then I met, uh, I met Joe and she said look you know I believe in you and let's just give it a whirl so that was five years ago. Yes, it's been challenging, but now, you know, the last year pre-COVID was our best year ever. It was up 100% on the, on the two years. Amazing. And just, yeah, not the back. It's interesting you say about the list that you did. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of the list um, because of the article that you wrote the other week, and mm. I shared that in the group, and it got some, um, got some interesting responses, but I did something similar that um in the first probably the first after the first couple of weeks after I walked out of school and I started normalizing a little bit and not not surviving off chocolate and crisps um I started then to have these these kind of pangs of oh maybe I should maybe I should bite the bullet maybe I should maybe I should go back maybe I should be the um the meek little girl that they want me to be because I miss people and I miss this and that and the other and my head was going don't be ridiculous but this bit of me was going yeah but um so I started making a list 
And every time I had one of those thoughts, my notepad came out and it was like, write at least three things that are better because you are not there. And it Mm. ended up about, I mean, it's about four or five pages long. And some of them were so ridiculous that um, they seem unreal now. I think I've said Mm. this to you before. You're like going to the toilet when I want to go to the toilet. I mean, what sort of job stops you from going to the toilet when you need to go to the loo? But that was the reality. So when I started making that list, for me, that was my trigger to, you do not ever want to go back to a state where you are so controlled and institutionalized that you don't live your life the way that you want it. And it's going to be hard and you're going to be skinned, but it'll be better. Um, so that was interesting. I want to, I want to whip back, you know, when we came out of uni, um, mm. you, I mean, I, you and I kind of took a slightly, di- after the first two years, we, we, we went on a different route. So you went BA, didn't you? And I went B Ed. Yes. So I, I knew I was going into teaching for you on the, on the BA route. Did you feel that you got, cause we didn't get any career advice. Did you, did you get any advice or guidance at that stage? No, I didn't. In fact, well, if you, I don't know if you remember, well, I, I didn't complete my BA. So it was a, you did your two years, which was the HND, and then mm. you could do two more to do it, to make it a BA. Mm. I didn't bother. After two years, I just thought, I'm done with education. Mm. Just, I need to get out and do something different. And I was so frustrated. And I just thought, well, the way I framed it in my head at the time was, well, I'll have a two-year head start on this bunch of people that are going to come out yeah. of the degree. Every bugger's coming out of the degree. I'm going to go and see what I can do in yeah. the real world. Um, and I say I learned more setting up and running that business for 18 months than I did in two years yeah. running, a, running you know, on the business course. And what about career advice as you've um, gone into adulthood and along the way? What, where do you get um, that from? What do you do? do you, are, you, are you kind of self-sufficient in that regard that you go looking or...? Yes. So I've always, I've always done two things. I guess I've always gone looking and made up my own minds and I take on lots of different opinions. So I read quite a lot, visit blogs, all those kind of things. And I ask different people, different mm-hmm. people for their opinions. And, and then I make up my mind as to what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, that's how I've, I've always gone with that. From that point. And I think the other thing, going back to the, you know, making that decision, what you described in terms of the things that were good and bad. I realized that when I got made that redundant that time at 41, that was the third time in my career I've been made redundant. Both on, on all three occasions, not because of poor performance or not anything wrong, just because of circumstances, you know, organizational restructuring, uh, recessions. And I thought, hang on a minute, my family's financial future is going to be put in jeopardy because of things beyond my control. I'd rather rise or fall by my own merits. Yeah. It's going to happen anyway. And it's happened three times. So why the hell not risk doing something for me? Yeah. Uh, and also knowing that, ironically, because of when you're self-employed, the tax things you can do, um, you don't have to actually earn as much money to be as well off as you were before. No, and that's that's a biggie, isn't it? I mean, it's certainly for, for teachers, and I would think that it applies to a lot of public sector workers as well, and a lot of people in the private sector. If you are salaried on a on a you know that's your career track and and whatever um you you forget that or you don't even know Mm. that there are lots of different things that you can do 
legally and um and morally that are correct in order to reduce your tax burden and still exist a decent yeah have a good living life yeah absolutely yeah. And i mean you don't even have to you know you don't have to turn over you know you can turn over anything i think it's 85 grand is the vat threshold yes well, yeah. unless you're in a kind of line of work a bit like I am, where some companies want you to be VAT registered, uh -huh. um, then, you know, you don't, if you're not turning over 85 grand, you don't need to be yeah. registered. And it's that, it, it, understanding the tax threshold, this is going to go off down a rabbit hole now, but mm. understanding the tax threshold, so understanding your, um, your tax-free allowance and understanding as well that you can... Um, change the way you pay your national insurance contributions yeah because that that was when i did my tax return this year that was like a oh okay that's different because i was used to probably about in total with pension tax national insurance i was probably looking at about two grand a month that was that was going out of my gross income mm. um and, and that's the panic when you go self-employed is you kind of go, shit, I'm going to have a really big tax bill, but actually you can play canny about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, even as a VAT company now, you know, there are things you can do so that, you know, my tax bill this year, touch what the council's just working on the minute, should be should be negligible. Mm. Because you just, you know, you pay your minimum and the rest is done through dividends and there's your director's loan, which is all very complicated, so we'll go down that. But yeah, so in, in essence, what you don't need to do is earn as much money as you were doing before yeah. to have a similar level of income. So, I guess what, what my question would be, um, the biggie, is how do you start when you don't know what it is that you want? That's a great question. For me, I can look at my experience, it's about stopping long enough to figure that out to figure out what's important. And it was only, you know, it took me two and a half months. It might only take somebody else two and a half days or two and a half weeks, I don't know. But it's only when you actually get to stop because like I said, if I got to 40, I'm assuming most of the people maybe listening to this watching yeah, this of a similar it, kind of age. Yeah. Um, you've been on that hamster wheel of life and you're running so flipping fast. Mm. And I know, you know, my, my sister's a teacher, Andrea, and I know the volume of work and everything else. When do you get time to stop? And actually think and reconnecting with yourself and what's important for you is not something that just happens the next day um not i would say anymore. so you need to i think you need to stop a bit so I, I it's an impossible question to answer but i think how do you go about it is is learn to stop learn to think about what's really interesting you motivates you what are you good at you know what do people around you think oh i think that's about you or i think you're good at this or what are the qualities and things? Um, did you, did you, because a lot of, um, again, I, I mean, it's, it's very experiential, but a lot of our group members, and certainly from my point of view, you, you work in a system and you perhaps seeing this with Andrea, you work in a system where um, you're not de-skilled, but your sort of, your sense of self-worth, Perhaps your emotional intelligence about yourself is kind of eroded over time and you get you get very used to hearing no, you know, making a suggestion and then being kind of eye rolled at and yeah. like, that's not our way and mm. that kind of 
bullshit let's let's call it what it yeah. is um so how did were you brave enough to to say to people right what do you think about me what do you think i can do what what am i good at from your point of view or did you did it come from you first a bit of both. So, yes, I would listen to people. I think you make a really good point there, Sarah. So many people get pigeonholed. You know, we, as human beings, we love labels. Yes. I do this when I do the career coaching and the CV with, with people. Is, you know, people write CV in a way that allows them to be labeled and pigeonholed. And the problem with that is so many people pay, oh, you're this or you're that. And even even your closest friends, you know, I wrote an article, another article about it in terms of it's called The Enemy of the Gates, being aware of actually the negative limitations that even close family and friends can unwittingly mm. put on you because they bring their fears and insecurities and go, well, I don't want you to do it. So they bring those and put them on you. So yes, people get incredibly labeled and yes, it stops you seeing what you're good at. So for me, yes, I ask people's opinions and, and views of them. Um, it wasn't necessarily what am I good at? What am I bad at? A little bit of that, but I'd take it with a big pinch of salt. Yeah. Some of the questions were around, you know, what do you, what, what happens or what am I talking about when you see me come alive? Ah. What what do you see as stirs my passion? What do you see as gets me up in the morning? What do you see as you know that kind of that kind of question? Mm. Um, and again with everything, it just came out to me refuse to I refuse to be labelled now. Mm. I've just got to that point where I'm sick and tired of people saying you're this or you'll only get to that. Mm -hmm. No, sod off. Who are you to tell me what I can and can't achieve? Yeah. Um, and then I started to deliberately surround myself and read the kind of stuff that was the opposite to what other people were saying. Because uh, uh, I've, I've listened to that for the last 20 odd years and I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to start listening to this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, interesting you mentioned CVs and I will, um, if you give me links to your stuff, there's a lot of people in the group who are asking for advice about... Um, about CV writing because for some of them they won't have written one for a very long time mm. but also for a lot of the a lot of the teachers and the TAs in the group and I think I said this to you last week that um, they label themselves as teacher and they don't actually understand that 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 label is a massive umbrella of a really multifaceted skill oh, gotcha. set yeah and even if they do get to that point where they break down exactly all of those micro tasks that they do and, and, and you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're becoming experts on bloody spreadsheets and data analysis and report writing and target setting and all of, all of these things. But they're stu so stuck in a, but I'm just a teacher that they don't know how to translate that on their CV into something that will catch the eye of somebody in the corporate world who's recruiting. They undersell yeah. themselves. Massively. So um, I think that's a two-pronged two thing for me. Any mm -hmm. sort of snippets of advice that you can give, but I think one of the things that I would really want to do is, is point group members to you mm. um, if that's something that, that is, you know, that's possible because it is one of yeah, your no, aspects of work, isn't it? It is, and it's something that I kind of developed when I, when I was transitioning. So I started... Uh, and it's based on when I came back from the Caribbean, I struggled like mad to get a job. And I couldn't for the life of me figure out why, you know, I've been in PR for five years, got promoted every year, turned this business around, done some other stuff in a different country, came back, 
and just hit a brick wall. Mm. And that's when I started to to remodel my CV a little bit uh, and, and, and pitch it in a different way and present myself in a different way without labels. And I've used that in terms of I've helped people since 2011 do it this way. And I've just recently, I created a course around it four years ago. I never did anything with it. Mm-hmm. And I've just fun enough got about to relaunch it, I think, probably yeah, in September. So I'll do that. But here's what I'm going to share anyway ahead of that. I'd you know, love to share with people. One is, um, so I get people to really focus on what I call their transferable assets. And there's a difference between a skill for me and a transferable asset. And the, the analogy I use is, do you remember when David Beckham scored that goal from halfway line? It was usually, yeah, every, most people do. Yeah. And um, so it took a huge amount of skill, you know, foot, hand, uh, hand foot, uh, eye foot coordination, depth range, all the rest of it. But he never did it again. So that's not a transferable asset. What it was a transferable asset for Beckham was pinpoint passing and being able to score from free kicks in tight situations, you know, European Championships, I think, uh-huh. finals, whatever it was, because he did that thing time and time again. And that's the way I get people to unpick their careers. So we go back over the careers, we deconstruct every facet of their role, and we use the kind of star framework. So what was the situation? What was the task? What was the action? What, what did they do? What was the result? And then they start to do that. And then they start to identify all their transferable assets that were involved, or the competencies rather, yeah. in, involved in each of those. Then from that, we're able to work out what the transferable assets are. And that becomes the core thing. The reason that's so powerful in the CV, when you structure your CV that way, is when someone's reading your CV, they're basically asking one question. What the hell can Sarah do for me? Mm-hmm. Now, in a traditional CV, you've got to try and unpick that from everything Sarah puts down in the chronology of her stuff. That makes me work harder as a, as a person recruiting. When you do it the way that I teach clients, two things happen. One, it makes it really obvious to the person in CV, wow, Sarah's got all these skills. Mm-hmm. So you're never just a teacher. What you are is a compilation of a whole range of brilliant transferable assets. Everything from, like you said, you know, data wizard, uh, report writing, hostage negotiator, I'd imagine, you know, all sorts of stuff. And you can put that down. So it makes it really clear what you transferable yeah. assets. So I don't have to, and then the other thing we do is we really work on their profile. And I refuse to have things like passionate, motivated, Uh, responsible for, because quite frankly, they don't mean Jack, uh, you know, responsible for something. So what? It doesn't mean you're any good at it. So I get them to write their profile in a really interesting way. uh, English teachers sometimes love because it's quite, gets their creative juices going. And it it stands out because your CV's job, and I'm, talking really fast because I'm passionate and I want to get as much value over yeah. as possible. Your CV's job is one thing and one thing only, and that's to get you an interview. Yes. That's it. Yeah. But the other thing is when you do the work that I get them to do, and it's not easy because I ain't going to write this for you. Um, You've got to do the work. I'll walk you through the process. I'll hold your hand. I'll coach you. I'll guide you. Clients have got to do the work. They get a lot more confidence because they realize, oh my God, I've been underselling myself. Yes. All these skills. Yeah. I've just been doing it with a guy who runs his own business that's unfortunately struggling. And he's having to go back into the world in the, in the food and beverage market. And he came to me with his CV, which was ropey. And we've just gone through this process over the last three or four weeks. And he's now gone, oh my God, I can't believe the difference. And the confidence I've got, I realized I've massively undersold myself. So now he's out there with a great CV and a great LinkedIn profile uh, and a lot of confidence. So when he gets to interview, he's going to do really well. That's that's really interesting because um, yeah, I'm a champion stalker um, in the nicest possible way. Um, and I was having a look at your profile on LinkedIn the other day because you're really active 
on mm. um, on LinkedIn and and you had um from a personal point of view you had a lot of value you you know people interact and engage with you because what you're pitching out there is is mm. relevant but I was really interested in the way that you'd structured your experience in terms of that kind of why you should engage with me why yeah. you should engage with me and I just thought, oh, that is that is a stroke of genius because just in terms of the initial assertiveness of that, this is on you now. I'm giving you the reason to come to me. Yes, it's that, isn't it? And and yeah. being ballsy, but in a very, um, it's not subtle but it's not a sort of slam in your face egotistical thing either is it yeah i like to think it's assertive like you know i want people who want to work with me and who've got a problem that i can fix if i can't fix your problem i'm going to tell you that i can't i'm not the right guy for that go and speak to this guy they're way much better than this lady um so i want them to know what i'm like or know what i'm about and what i can do and what i can't do because i don't want to waste your time on mine so i like to think it's assertive in that way it gives people up front no he's not for me or that's not right i'll go somewhere else um and yeah and so and actually the other thing is you know linkedin no one cares what i did before the fact that i've got 20 years in the corporate world are irrelevant to the people i'm trying to talk to and attract as clients now Uh so who cares don't waste my linkedin space by putting what i did when i first went into pr 20 odd years ago it's not relevant and it's the same with a lot of your cv you know a lot of people have put stuff on there that's just not relevant or it's not positioned in a way that makes it easily understandable for the potential employer to go ah that's what sarah can do okay yeah that's that's really helpful I, I i really do think that that's one of it's one of the things that that people are really crying out for at the moment is is how how do i reshape me on paper to get my mm. foot in the door but also um that's why i asked you about career advice because there's there's so so many people at the moment going i just don't know what i can do or where i can look for the things that I'm actually really interested in. So there's lots of people interested in kind of forest school, outdoor ed, you know, very active people. Um, And it's that, where the hell do I start with that? How do I find out what I need to do for that? And yeah. I think it's for me, it's just start. So start on the internet, grab your keyboard, grab your laptop, get out there, start perusing as much as you can, find as much as you can, set up a bunch of bookmarks, look around, and don't be afraid to ask. I've been amazed. You know, I wrote my book, um, and I literally did it by approaching every single one. So 28 business leaders um, that I approached, and I think overall I approached 36, 37. That's a good conversion, right? Yeah, so I mean, people love giving advice. Yeah. So they're happy to share. And if you, if you come out from a humble, I mean, I got my very first job in PR because someone said, you'd be good for the gift of the gab. So I thought, where the hell do I start? So I picked up Yellow Pages and it was a lady called Jean Patella, her name was. I think she had a little Patella PR, it was called, in, in Ashton under Line near where I lived. And I rang her up. She said, look, I'm a one-man band. She goes, go and talk to John Williams at Mason Williams. And Mason Williams is one of the three biggest PR agencies in Manchester. So I rang him up. I blagged getting past his PA because I said, oh, yeah, I know John. <laughs> uh, and I rang him up and I said, look, John, you don't know me. My name's Anthony Taylor. 
I'm thinking about getting into PR. I have no idea what you look for or what kind of qualities and skills. Can I buy you a coffee and, and let me have half an hour of your time? And he said, yeah, sure, come on in. So I went into the office. We had a chat for half an hour. And at the end of it, he said, we might be recruiting in a month or so. If we are, are you up for an interview? So I said, yeah, absolutely. A month later, I got a call, ended up going for an interview with a bunch of other candidates and ended up getting the job. But I just started from asking someone their advice. Yeah. I think, yeah. you know, so just just start, put yourself out there, freebie a bit, do whatever. Um, yeah. People yeah. Are more than don't, don't be afraid of, of hearing no either. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I hear no all the time in my line of work. And I actually, I, I, funny, I go for no. So when I'm looking to attract new clients, corporate clients, uh -huh. what I'm looking for is a reason for why they won't, uh, won't make a good client. Because I don't want to go all down this process and then go, oh, no, because they say, oh, we haven't got the money. So I look at the budget thing, right? You know, go for no. Tell me, I try and disqualify them rather than try and qualify them. Uh, Saves a bunch of time. That's interesting because I was talking to somebody else the other day about I I have a um, I have a real issue with asking people for payment um, and and, and being um, open and upfront initially because i'm terrified that by saying what i will charge for a certain thing i've got over it now with the photography because i've shifted to that mindset i've got a particular type of client that i want they're in a particular income bracket and my prices are up front I've got three packages you pick package and if you're not interested in any of those i'm not negotiating with you they are that's it yeah and that's that's working now so people come in it's all automated they they pick and choose and then the first official contact i get is when they have picked a package and a date and therefore all of that wrangling is gone mm. um but there is an issue to do with um asking for money isn't there even though it is your work and it's what yeah and it comes down to a bunch of things it comes down to self-esteem and it comes down to what you feel you're worth uh -huh. and uh funny enough i do a talk, I talk around this like a keynote speech and one of the elements is is you know my mom was amazing she was fantastic in terms of promoting me saying get out there get off your backside don't let people put you down or a really encouraging woman but with one conversation, we were driving, I was 13 or something like that time, in the car with brother and sister. And I remember us saying, we're talking about how on both sides of my family, relatively good business or good businesses, fairly successful businesses, have both been lost by people who just run them into the ground. And I remember saying, we'll never be rich in our family. And that coupled with growing up with, if we just talk about money, we don't talk about money. Yes. Just set this tone of, oh, I can't talk about money. To the point where, when I, I recognised this about two years ago, and I ended up investing in some sales training for myself, which cost me about six grand. Don't worry, no one else, I'm not saying you have to do that. Mm. But that's what I chose to do. But it, one of the things it benefits was it helped me get over this issue about money. Yeah. And the more, you know, so now I'm much better about saying, look, this is the value, this is my price. And if, if you don't want to pay that, that's okay. Um, I'm sure you can find somebody else. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and not and not being upfront about it and being upfront yeah. and saying, look, okay, you've got this problem, it's gonna cost you X many thousands to fix it in a corporate setting, not one to one. Um that's that's what I'm saying. And until I've got the money, I go, Well, that's okay. That's fine. Yeah, and it and it's that um I guess it's it's kind of a little bit of a a fear of missing out, isn't it, initially, yeah. in terms of I want clients and I want them quick. So if I if I if I 
undercut and compete on price, then I'll get the clients in. But actually, that's not what you want in the long term. You want people to come to you regardless of price because the quality of what you're doing is so good. Yeah, and that comes from that self-belief. The other thing is if you keep undercutting, it just becomes what we call the race to the bottom. Yeah. And then, you know, and the other thing I realized as well is some, you know, I put my prices up not long ago. And actually what I can do is I can afford to have a bit of wastage mm. because I put my price up. So I don't need to work as hard because I'm actually getting the same income by charging more and having sometimes having slightly fewer prices. Yeah. And the ironic thing as well is when I put my prices up, a lot of people didn't bulk. Really? Yeah, they went, okay. Because as long as they know I'm giving them the perceived value, and what matters is their perceived value. So some clients go, oh, how can you charge that? I say, yeah. well, why do you think I can charge that? Yeah. Well, maybe it's because it's good. Well, yeah, there is that. Training. These are the extra value that I provide. But if that's okay, if you're not in your price bracket, you know, we all buy cars, I guess. So there's, you know, you've got your base value car all the way up to your Bentleys and your Ferraris. Well, I can't afford those. So I'm happy with the middle of the range one. Mm. Equally, I don't want to buy a really, really super cheap one because I can afford to pay yeah. middle of the range. And that's okay. Yeah. So, you know, I'm yeah. not Ferrari's target market, neither am I Daihatsu's. And, and that and that comes then to knowing who you who your target audience is, isn't it? And yeah. and, and figuring out that sort of um that model of almost i mean we've done it within the tutoring business that we we have actually named our ideal client we've built this mental picture of gail um and who she is and what her income is and and all those sorts of things um and it helps because then you're talking to that person when you when you when you're pitching can we shift can we shift to um where where you are i think just amazing the whole sort of mindset resilience mental toughness because that is something for many of our group members and for me it was it was a big thing for me um we're bruised at best broken at worst there is no resilience there is no toughness it needs rebuilding so astound me please (laughs) Well, I don't know if I can astound you. I think that's going to switch it, but I'll do my best to, to help. How about that? Okay. Um, I would say a couple of things there. One is there's always resilience. Okay. You know, you can't go through life without building up some resilience. And I know people might feel bruised and broken, and I, I've been there, really been there. Um, and, you know, so it, it's possible to come back from that. You have a lot more resilience than you give yourself credit for. Not just you, but anyone else listening to that. What really made a difference for me was finding that why. So when I took that time out to figure out what it was I wanted to do, that became the most protective factor. You know, Viktor Frankl wrote about it in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. If anyone's looking a bit lost, start with that book. It'll be brilliant. It will make you cry and it will give you a real leg up. Man's Search for Meaning. Or or Simon Sinek's done a lot with that recently with his Find Your Why uh, or Start With Why, all that stuff. It's the same stuff that Frankl's talking about. Mm-hmm. So and that when I got clear on what my purpose was and why I wanted to do what I wanted to do, um, then that became the most protective factor against the hardship, the doubt, the, the, the low income at first and all the rest of it. So get clear on that and then feed your mind. You know, lots of different cliches and analogies here, but the reason the cliches for a reason is because they work. So your mind is like a garden. You know, it will grow whatever is planted. 
Now, some people might be looking at this and they've just had weeds planted by other people. Uh You're this, you're that, you're not very good at this, you'll never be that. You know, all that rubbish. Just refuse to accept any of that and start filling your mind with positive stuff. So every morning I get up and I spend half an hour doing a bit of a gentle exercise, just some walking, a bit of stretching, that kind of stuff. And I'm listening to motivational, reading motivational stuff because if I don't start off my day that, there are plenty of other people who quite happily fill it with negative thoughts about their perception of my limitations. I'm actually using this of that. I'm doing something for me now. So really be conscious of your self-talk. If you find yourself, I'm going to give you a quick uh, CBT tool here. If you find yourself negatively ruminating, use the three C's, which stands for catch, challenge, and change. Catch yourself, say negative things to yourself about yourself. Challenge the evidence for that. Is this fact? Is this fiction? What am I assuming? Am I putting down on myself? And then um, change it. Change that narrative. Um, you know, you'll know this as teachers. Kids are like wet cement, aren't they? Whatever lands on them makes an impression. And we are same as adults. Uh-huh. You can reprogram your brain in terms of to be much more positive and to, to be able to build up that resilience. Uh-huh. So get clear on your why. Have a goal, or try and if you can define your goals, but then set what I call smaller process goals. So say I want to lose weight, which I'm doing in a minute. You know, I want to lose a couple of stone in weight. My process process goals are uh, drink two liters of water a day, um, eat no more than 1500 calories, and I'll try and exercise for about half an hour to 40 minutes a day every day. By breaking down that big goal, sort of having it, but then forgetting about it, and focusing on those three small ones every day, I know I'm going to move myself closer every day. So I weigh myself every day. Some days I've gone up a little bit, but overall the trend keeps going down. Uh-huh. So I lose a bit and then I go up a bit. I lose a bit and I go up a bit, but I'm going downhill. I'm getting to where I want to be because I focus on those things, okay. not on my end goal. Because when we're changing career, it looks so scary. Yes. How the hell can we go from this and this income level to something I'm not even quite sure what that looks like over there and where the hell's the money going to come from? Uh-huh. So don't focus on that. Focus on what are the daily behaviours and actions that you can do that are going to move you forward. Okay, fantastic advice. And I need to lose weight, so I'm going to adopt your... Uh... <laughs> so yeah, just go for it. You know, it's just incrementally. And I'm not on any crash diet. I'm just oh, doing those things. God. And they are just... It's working. Do you know, my, I think one of my, my biggest issues... I was, I was talking to a friend about this earlier on today is I want immediate results. This is why I've never stuck at the gym. And I was a gymnast for from about the age of four through to 16. And I trained 30 hours a week and I was, you know, pre, pre-national standard just. Um, and I was so disciplined about that as a, as a youngster. Whereas now, I, you know... I go to the gym and I think, well, why haven't I got abs? <laughs> and that held me back. Yeah, and that held me back for most of my career because what I do, I'm so hell-bent on looking for the hack, looking for the shortcut. What's the quick way I can get promoted? What's the quick way I can do this way? And actually what I've realised now in the last six, seven, eight years is embrace the suck, as the Navy still say. Just do the work every single day and, and it will start to come. I, I think that is is a fantastic mantra isn't it do the work just do the work Stephen Pressfield has got a brilliant book called do the work and it's a very short book about writing what well, it applies to anything but a lot of it is you know you'll find ways to procrastinate 
and you'll find amazing creative ways to procrastinate. Everything from, <laughs> you know, going for walks, sex, all sorts, anything you'll do to put stuff off. We do, we do as human beings, and it's brilliant, and he just calls it out, and it's fantastic, but, but there's no other way than just to do the work. So when you've got that goal, that purpose, that becomes that protective factor, and you'll do, you'll take the rejections, you'll take the doubt, and you'll just do the work. And now for me, I'm enjoying or everything come and enjoy the rejections. That's great. I'm one rejection closer to getting a client or whatever it is. Um, and one one blog post article closer to being able to charge for that kind of stuff and whatever it is. But yeah, just just do the work. Have you done any any work with um NLP? Yes, I'm an NLP coach. Oh are you? Yeah, I qualified as an NLP practitioner four years ago. See, I, I realised the other day that I actually did an NLP qualification, God, must be about 15 years ago, and I actually, I'd forgotten about it. It it just become lost in, you know, so I need to go up into the attic and find my certificate and remind myself what it was that um, I was so proud of when I did yeah. that. And that's um, most people do that. They forget all the things that they've done and achieved, or they just think about it in a work context. They forget that. Um, you know, there's things that they might do outside of work, like, I don't know, running a sports team or, or running the scouts or the guides or whatever it might be, that brings with them a whole bunch of skills that they can put down that makes them attractive to other people. Fab. Right. So, um, as I said to you, this would go on longer than it. Um, That's fine. 48 minutes in. Um, if I get some links off you in terms of, where's best to direct people to for you um and you may well find that a couple of people try and connect with you on linkedin because that's one of the things we're encouraging people to do is get on linkedin and get a profile set up and and start just dipping their toe in the water and, and being brave um but that's really helpful really helpful um not just from a group point of view but i've got i've given furiously writing things down so yeah, thank no, you no, no, no. You're welcome. Um, and yeah i will come back to you if uh if yeah by all means all right but are, are you are you're happy i mean you're quite prolific in terms of publishing things so um i will share those because a, a lot of what you publish yeah. on linkedin is very relevant to to where we're at so yeah i'm just writing one about how to leave the office on time every day at the minute so that will hopefully be published tomorrow there is a real culture in teaching of trying to be the last one out oh. because because if you're not if you're seen walking out of the gate at half past three after you know after the children have left that you're judged for that you know yeah. working hard enough and it it's that whole thing isn't it is well nobody else nobody else's opinion of me should actually matter so if i walk out of the building at half past three because it was one of the things that was on my list i i've got long-term health issues which i manage and they, they are not um they are not the thing that drives my life but I used to have to wait until half term in order to be able to fit in a doctor's appointment to go and have a review. It's just mad. And that's crazy. Yeah, it's just crazy. Um, you know, and I hate cultures. That's part of the reason I do what I do because I, you know, I'm trying to work with managers and teams, not just to make them individually mentally tough, but collectively, but make managers 
better, more empathetic managers so that they don't kind of be the people like that. Mm. You know, uh, you know, they say, oh, you can't go. Arseholes. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, arseholes. Um, I just, you know, that's just mad, crazy. No one should be like that. No, no, absolutely not. And it's, and it's two things that stop people doing that. It's the fear of losing approval. Yes. And it's the fear of not being in control. Those are the two root causes of all mental stress. Fear of losing approval and fear of not being in control. And, and, and find... I guess you have to get back to the only person whose approval matters is, is your own, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm. fabulous. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I hope it's been useful. I hope everyone yeah, has it's been value from it. Amazing. And um, you've done it in such a lovely way that I will be able to chunk the video and put little math points in and, and, and it will make it easy to watch. So I really no appreciate your time. And it's not a problem at all. to see you again. Likewise, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully. Let's catch up after lockdown's over. Lots yeah, of. hopefully next time I see you in real life, I might have lost the uh, the head and chin. <laughs> no, <Can't> see it. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll let you get back on with your day, and I will All right. uh, speak to you soon. All right, Sarah, take care. Take care. Cheers, now. Bye bye. bye.